Welcome to It's Your Heart Protected, the podcast by the Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly Alliance. In people with diabetes, heart disease and kidney disorders often coexist. The cardio-renal metabolic systems are intimately linked. In this podcast series, we hear from a range of experts involved in the care for people living with these conditions and learn how interconnected systems call for an interconnected approach to care. Hello, this is Dr. Carolyn Nam from Singapore, and today I will be hosting It's Your Heart Protected, the podcast. Today's episode is entitled Teamwork Across Cardio-Renal Metabolic Disease. Now, we know that conditions of the cardio-renal metabolic systems are intimately linked, and patients living with any one of these conditions, such as diabetes, heart disease, or chronic kidney disease, will be at increased risk of the other. Improving health in one area can positively impact another, and on the other hand, not doing so can negatively impact the other systems as well. Now, in this podcast, we explore the highly interconnected nature of the cardiorenal metabolic systems and consider the communication required between the team of specialists responsible for treatment. So, with cardiorenal metabolic conditions affecting so many people around the world, I am so excited to welcome these guests to today's podcast. First, I would like to welcome back a previous guest, endocrinologist Dr. Alice Cheng from Canada. And also joining this podcast for the first time from Melbourne, Australia, I'd love to welcome nephrologist and endocrinologist Professor Merlin Thomas. Thank you both for joining for today. You can see we've got a truly international team, not just spread across in regions, but also spread across in specialist expertise. So Alice and Merlin, could I ask you to say hello to everyone and introduce yourselves? So hello, everyone. It's a real pleasure to join this podcast. And I very much look forward to this conversation with both yourself, Carolyn, and of course, with Merlin. Hi there, I'm Merlin Thomas from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a weird kind of nephrologist, the kind that says I'd rather my patient never ends up on dialysis, never gets a transplant, actually never sees a nephrologist in the first place. And that's really why I've come here tonight to tell you about kidney disease and how it's so important to treat and prevent. I love that, Merlin. You're my kind of nephrologist. <laughs> and having said that, maybe I should start with you, Merlin. How many of the patients that you see have diabetes or heart disease, perhaps? Well, in my clinic, largely I see patients with kidney disease, and diabetes is the leading single cause of chronic kidney disease, and certainly the leading single cause of ending up having end-stage kidney disease. But in my country, across primary care, we're now seeing that at least half of all individuals with type 2 diabetes just seeing their primary care practitioner have got either increased amounts of albumin in their urine or a reduced EGFR. And that says you've got chronic kidney disease and you're in trouble and you need some help. Oh, yikes, Merlin. You talked about albuminuria. I'm a cardiologist. I'm not sure I measure albumin in my patients, but maybe before we start comparing notes here, maybe I should ask Alice the same question. How many of the patients do you see as an endocrinologist has heart disease or kidney disease? The answer would be too many. 
I've often joked my job, uh, if I do it well, is that my patients will never have to meet you or Merlin (laughs) in terms of meeting a cardiologist or a nephrologist in the ideal situation. But in reality, a good percentage of my patients do, in fact, have cardiac or kidney disease. And partly it is a function of being an endocrinologist, perhaps the referral bias associated with that. And I would hope that for my primary care colleagues, the percentage is in fact smaller. But I think the short answer for me would be too many. And in the ideal situation, I'd be able to say none. Oh my goodness, Alice, you're my kind of endocrinologist too. I love that (laughs) emphasis on prevention that both of you are mentioning. Well, perhaps let me also share my perspective in Singapore as a heart failure cardiologist. I can tell you practically two-thirds of my patients have some kind of renal impairment. And if I were clever enough or had spoken to Merlin previously and measured albumin in their urine, I bet it would be almost all of my patients. And in Singapore, we're kind of a diabetes capital, very unfortunately, with that being responsible, I think, for such a huge proportion of both heart disease and kidney disease. So it sounds like we all see a lot of these patients. And yet, sometimes I have to admit, it feels like my patient's not the same as your patient, Merlin. Do you agree with that? And perhaps could you share in your practice and in Australia, when do these patients get referred to other specialists? And do you, for example, actively screen for heart disease? These are really important questions, but let me go back to what you said before, which was, why should I be screening for albuminuria in my cardiac patients or whatever? So the really important question is, what are you doing as a cardiologist? The answer is you're keeping patients alive and out of coronary care. For what? So they can develop renal disease or other complications. The whole point of keeping people alive is to actually keep them out of hospital in a holistic kind of way. Looking for kidney disease in those that you actually can improve their heart is actually really quite important because it's not just those with increased amounts of albumin. It's also those who have got a reduced EGFR or a falling EGFR at a rate of knots that says, this patient, if I can fix their heart and maybe I can fix their heart failure, I also need to make sure that I fix their kidneys. Otherwise, that'll be next on the line for them. And that's why it's really important to consider that as part of a holistic approach. Every time you see someone with heart disease, you think of the kidney. And certainly every time I see someone with kidney disease, I'm always thinking about their cardiovascular and heart failure risk. Yeah, but it gets tricky, doesn't it? So your assessment of the heart might be quite different, for example, with what I would do. I would certainly be getting them an echocardiogram, perhaps even measuring natriuretic peptides. I mean, are my natriuretic peptides your albuminuria? Do you see what I mean? (laughs) What I consider that should be done in every patient may not be done in every patient simply because we're such siloed specialists. Do you agree with that? I think that every patient who's got a degree of renal impairment in particular needs to be considered to be high risk for heart failure. And whether or not they have an echo that shows a stiff heart or reduced ejection fraction is immaterial. They're in a high risk category and they should be treated as such with optimal therapies to reduce their risk and also, as appropriate, referral to someone who can help them out of their cardiac problems as much as their renal problems. 
Very, very logical. Thanks, Merlin. But now, again, a confession on my own practice. When I see a patient with type 2 diabetes, I kind of immediately want to know if someone else is taking care of their feet and their eyes and, yes, checking their urine for a healthy human. So maybe, Alice, I could ask from your perspective, is it something that should be siloed too? I mean, should, should us cardiologists be doing that? Should everyone be doing that? What do you think? Well, I think certainly from an endocrinology perspective, absolutely every patient that we see at almost every visit, we are thinking about preventative measures, as I mentioned early, but we are also thinking about screening for complications. That's one of the critical aspects of the care that we provide, which include an annual eye exam, as well as checking urine, checking their feet, the very things that you mentioned. So certainly for either primary care or endocrinology, that screening must be happening on a regular basis. However, when we are sharing care, of a given individual with other specialties, I think it's important that every specialty have these things in mind. Am I expecting that every cardiology colleague of mine will also do an A1C and check for urine, album, and creatinine? Perhaps not, but I think they should be looking to see if it's been done. But often the hesitation is if I order it, I now need to treat it. And if I'm not sure how to treat it, then I should not order it. That unfortunately is a philosophy out there. And that's where teamwork is so important. If you identify an issue and it's not something that you're keen on treating, for example, the A1C being elevated, then please reach out to primary care or endocrinology, whomever is actually taking care of that individual along with yourself. And could I press you on that a bit of Alice? So we should all be screening for the other organ systems too. I think we heard everybody agree on that, but then why? Why is it so important? Why does it impact the practice of what we do as specialists? Well, I think why we do what we do and why we wake up in the morning every day and go to work is is ultimately to improve the quality of our patients' lives. I mean, yes, quantity is of course important, but so is quality. And to improve quality of life, we're doing our best to minimize complications. So as Merlin was alluding to earlier, I mean, you as a cardiologist are doing amazing things to keep people alive. But if you're keeping them alive, but yet they're still developing eye complications and then winding up with reduced vision, their quality of life is going to be significantly decreased. So A, it's sort of a more holistic approach in recognizing that the entire person, their health is going to contribute to their quality of life. But on top of that, it's sending a message to the patient and recognizing, they're recognizing that, hey, everybody involved in my care is sort of asking similar questions. They may not be actively treating that aspect, but they are asking whether I've seen an eye doctor. Oh, wait, maybe it's important that I go see an eye doctor on a regular basis. So there's also the message that we're sending to the patient that it's actually the whole body. I'm going to focus on this organ system, but I still want to make sure that your whole body has been addressed. I think that's another important message. True. I was also thinking on the perspective of there is one test that, for example, you don't ever need to push a heart failure cardiologist to do, and that's a renal panel. In that sense, it's so important for me as a cardiologist to know how the kidneys are doing because it completely impacts the choices of therapies, how far I can go, the adverse effects, and so on. So I'd love to hear from the nephrologist's point of view, do you think the interconnectedness of these diseases really is important because of management. It's not just the interconnection that's there, but actually the way that the kidney can give you a guide to a patient's risk. 
and therefore doing something what's called NNT or number needed to treat. So if you said, is there one patient in my clinic who is likely to end up in hospital soon for heart failure, who's likely to have a cardiac event or likely to have an early death? Is there one patient in whom if I treated them more aggressively with different kinds of agents, would I see a difference? The answer is yes, it's those patients who have got established complications, particularly those with kidney disease. It's very clear that if you've got no album in your urine and your GFR is great, then your age standardized mortality is really not far away from non-diabetic individuals in the general population. Whereas if you've got a little bit of albumin, a reduced EGFR in particular, both, like many of your patients probably have, then those patients have somewhere between seven and 10 times the risk of mortality and even higher rates of heart failure. So here are these patients that really simple, cheap test, as you say, that you can say, hey, this one's at risk. I'll keep a close eye on this one and I'll treat them maybe a bit preemptively or maybe I'll, I'll say, if there's any signs that your weight's increasing, come back and see me earlier. If you've got good kidney function, you can get out of all sorts of jams. If you've got no kidney function, if your heart should decline a little bit, you get a bit of infection, then you're in a jam really fast. And this is the kind of patient you need to keep a close eye on. So it helps you decide who are the ones that are really going to be in trouble and who are the ones I really need to keep a close eye on. That's such an important point. And it really builds on what you said earlier, Alice, that it sends a message to patients too that these systems are interconnected and we need to look for complications. So could I just ask, do your patients who are just feeling fine and dandy, right? Do they wait to feel chest pain or breathlessness? Do they wait to feel anything before agreeing for screening? And how do you convince patients that it's important to do that? Yeah, I love that point. There is the challenge of communicating this interconnectedness to our patients effectively, having them understand why it is that I run these tests. Because you're right, when you're feeling fine, you're thinking, okay, so I understand you check in my sugar, but why you check in other things? And it is important that we communicate the preventative nature of what we're trying to do. And then on top of that, the recognition that we can identify early changes in the cardiac system or more specifically as well, definitely in the kidney system. That's why I'm checking your urine. I'm looking for stuff that you're not going to see in the urine yourself. And that is a sign of very early damage. And then followed by what we can then do about it. Because I think if we just tell people that we're looking for a problem, then they're kind of thinking, well, maybe I don't want to know. But if we tell people we're looking for a problem, but we want to find it early because there are things that we can offer that might help in a sort of a multifactorial approach, there's purpose to actually go find things. Just like, why do I have to go see an eye doctor on an annual basis when I see fine? Well, it's because we don't want to wait till you don't see fine. The cardiac piece is interesting because they really much are thinking uh, chest pain, right? Chest pain, shortness of breath, and we're certainly asking for that on history. Uh, in Canada, we are recommending doing screening with ECGs, explaining to the patient why we're doing tests when they feel fine. That's a very important part. And they need to understand then the interconnectedness for them to agree. Thanks, Alice, for talking about the screening ECG. I mean, I hate to be too cardiac centric here, but what really aggravates me sometimes is we should be taking diastolic dysfunction in the heart as a marker of early dysfunction as well, it's remarkable that when patients with diabetes are actually screened for it, how many 
have this subclinical diastolic dysfunction, which to me is a manifestation of microvascular disease of the heart, very similar to albuminuria versus the kidneys. I think the very fact that we're having conversations like this tells me perhaps we don't discuss cross-specialty enough. What do you think, both Merlin and Alice? Perhaps Merlin first. I think it's very hard in this day and age to manage the half a billion people across the world with diabetes with just a specialty service and a primary care. It just doesn't work that way. Everybody who manages diabetes has to be a little bit cardiologist, a little bit nephrologist, a little bit endocrinologist, and a lot primary care, probably a lot psychologist as well. But they need to be a really multi-skilled in what they do. But even the best primary care people, when you meet someone with diabetes who's going downhill, they need the real support of the specialists. The specialists can't take over primary care, but they can offer guidance and they also can offer an escape route for patients who are clearly drifting downwards. And what's really important, Alice mentioned the baseline ECG. One of the most important things that you can do is have those baseline measures. So when things go wrong, you really know what's gone on. So for example, if they were, let's say, gone into AF, you can say, oh, you you didn't used to be AF before, or they've got a new bundle branch block that wasn't there before. The patients may be entirely asymptomatic, but at least you may be able to know what the baseline was. And again, you don't need necessarily to baseline ECG on everybody. But again, if you find someone at increased risk with diabetes, for example, diabetes plus, and that plus might be advanced age, it might be they've got other cardiac problems, they've got renal problems, they've got eye problems, they've got foot problems. Diabetes plus anything means this one's at high risk for cardiac disease and renal disease. And if their risk of cardiac disease is high, then I need a baseline ECG as a bare minimum and possibly a baseline echo to know how their heart is functioning just in case something goes wrong to see where I can make a difference to their care. Yeah. So Merlin, what I hear you saying is we have the primary care. We still need these specialists. It sounds like you're saying we need to go for a team approach. And I think, Alice, you did mention that. So you have thoughts to add to that team approach? How do we actually make it happen? I think the team approach is absolutely critical. There's actually a visual that had created for Diabetes Canada for one of our previous edition of the guidelines. We had the patient in the middle and then a circle around them of all the various specialties and individuals involved in the care of that person. The idea was to bring across the idea of teamwork. Part of the challenge of teamwork, though, is whose job is it? That's often a question that gets asked. We assume that the cardiologist is doing all the heart stuff, the nephrologist will take care of all the kidney stuff, the endocrinologist will do all the sugar stuff, so then someone else is going to do it. And I think that's something that I hear often, oh, well, I assumed someone else would do this, or I won't do this because it's someone else's job. But yet we need to communicate better with each other. I think we can define certain roles, but the messaging needs to be the same, and the communication needs to be very open. And ideally, that would happen in the same physical space, right? I mean, the ideal situation, you've got a multidisciplinary clinic where the patient in one visit will see all the various people involved in their team. Those clinics are far and few between. And I think that they're more for logistic, practical reasons that they don't always happen that way. But absolutely, I think teamwork is so important. The other piece I would add is I think it's important that we learn together. 
Because part of the problem we don't maybe work well as a team is that I go to an endocrine conference, you go to a cardiology conference, Merlin goes to a nephrology conference. We don't necessarily learn together. And when we don't learn together, that further contributes to that siloed philosophy that, you know, I, I do my thing and you do your thing. I think one of the other important things is that the guidelines that used to be so society-centric and, and disparate are starting to see people coming on the same page. And the reason that we're allowing, and in fact having this meeting in this podcast, is that cardiology guidelines, the renal guidelines, the endocrinology guidelines are all getting together to say diabetes needs to cover all of these things and we need to be all on the same page. And we're all very clear now about what needs to be done. And so there's no question from a cardiology point of view, it's not that they haven't seen the endocrinology trials they're all in the Society of Cardiology Guidelines. Equally, the nephrologists are now quoting the diabetes studies as part of their renal work. So overall, I think you're seeing that the guidelines are one of the really important ways, like the Canadian ones and the ones all over the world. They're driving this holistic approach because they are now saying in the diabetes guidelines, consider the heart when choosing a medication or consider the kidney when choosing a medication. That's a really important change. That is a really important point, Merlin. I was just thinking that it's the same with the heart failure guidelines. There's just more and more mention of diabetes as well as kidney disease. And frankly, that remains a huge unmet need. I'd like to share of a personal experience of being completely humbled, sitting for the first time in a multidisciplinary advisory board. You know how it gets to be an old boys club when you're sitting with the heart failure people, you can practically predict what each other is going to say. And then suddenly I was I was in an advisory board talking about the management of hyperkalemia because it's such an important thing in both heart failure and chronic kidney disease. And it was humbling to hear how nephrologists are able to tolerate much higher potassium levels than we would, you know, as, as scared little cardiologists. And just a simple thing like optimizing renin-angiotensin-aldosterone blockade. I think there are quite different points of views from nephrologists to cardiologists to endocrinologists. What do you have to say about that, uh, Merlin? Do you think the guidelines are going to help us sort of get on the same page? Certainly in terms of diabetes, maybe still a way to go with hyperkalemia, I'm afraid. In terms of diabetes and fluid overload, you're quite right. You're starting to see diabetes experts reading the heart failure guidelines because those are the kind of patients that they're seeing. You're starting to see heart failure experts reading the diabetes guidelines and then coming to some sort of consensus because they realize they're the same patients that they're dealing with all of the time. And if they understand what the cardiologist is doing and they understand what the diabetologists and the nephrologist is doing, then they can all deliver a very similar care and also consistent care, which is protective both of the heart and the kidneys. Merlin, guilty as charged. I have to admit that it was only in the last two years that I myself picked up the diabetes guidelines and have been following them. I'd like to, in the last few minutes, perhaps switch to a more patient-centric view. What would the patient want? You know, I was just putting myself in the place of someone who's got diabetes and maybe a little bit of kidney disease and at risk of heart disease and in particular heart failure, uh, I really would want to go to one place where I know the best of the best taking care of me. I mean, um, do you agree with that? And also, you mentioned that these integrated clinics are few and far between, but can you give us an example of something like that, Alice? 
I think from the patient perspective, the ideal situation would be to go to one place and not to have to repeat your story 15 times, because that's what's happening now. They come to see me, they go to see Merlin, they go to see Carolyn. They're saying the same thing over and over again, but then we're just asking slightly different questions. So from a patient perspective, I think being able to share their story once and then for us to then communicate with each other so that they don't have to repeat themselves would be very much appreciated. I've often heard patients get frustrated saying with certain medications, that doctor made it go up and then the other doctor stopped it and then someone else restarted it. And, you know, why don't you guys talk to each other? So absolutely, for the sake of our patients, having a situation where they go to one place, tell their story once and then get the care that they need would be ideal. They also recognize that each of us brings something different to the table, and that's what they want, and they appreciate that part. They just don't want to have to have us conflicting with each other. And do I know of examples of this? And and yes, there is, in fact, a multidisciplinary clinic in Toronto that tries to do this with a cardiologist, a nephrologist, endocrinology involved. And it's still not perfect. It's the logistics of, of how do you make it happen? How do you ensure the patient then isn't at the clinic for four hours or five hours, which is one of the issues that may come up. And I'm hoping with technology advancing as quickly as it as it is, is there a way that we can take advantage of that to improve the teamwork even further? Yeah, we have some examples here of that sort of multidisciplinary team. I'd much rather a patient never got renal failure in the first place and never had to see a nephrologist. But despite our best efforts, and there are some really good efforts out there, many patients will progress. And it's those sort of situations where it is worthwhile referring to those teams. And often those teams can provide something a little different. Often the renal teams are largely focused on preparation for end-stage renal disease, which is a very confronting experience for, for many patients and their families and their caregivers and all the rest of those things. And so it's really important to get in early to see what can be done, not only to slow progression, but also avoid the symptoms associated with failing renal function. I'd love to see patients referred appropriately a lot earlier than when they're on their last breath or indeed from a cardiac care or a, or a heart failure ward, when only suddenly then we said, oh, we maybe, maybe we should care about renal function now. I think the best time to care about renal function is exactly when they're well, when you can see they're sliding. And I know in Australia, general practitioners are taking and measuring EGFR, for example, on an annual basis as a part of cycle of care. And anyone who's losing more than, let's say, three and a half mils per minute per year, or roughly 10 mils per minute per three years, so they've gone from, let's say, 70 to 60 in three years, you know they they're a slider, they're on a downward slide, and whatever you say, they're going to end up in either a cardiac event or a renal event. And those are the kind of patients who should be seen by both cardiologists and nephrologists to try and see if we can slow that progress down. And we know that you can put years on a patient's life or years off dialysis by instituting therapy appropriately early by identifying those sort of individuals. And that's exactly why we need to have conversations as we have today Thank you so much, Alice and Merlin. It's really been so informative and frankly humbling talking to you today. And before we end, I would love to give you the closing words. Alice, would you like to start? Sure. Thank you, Carolyn. I think it's important to remember that our patients living with diabetes are at risk of multiple complications. However, the reality is it can happen. And there's a strong link between cardiac, kidney, 
and of course, the metabolic system. So our jobs are to screen, our jobs are to prevent, our jobs are then to refer and include our other colleagues early as opposed to late, and then to keep those lines of communications open, because that is what's going to allow for the best care for our patients. And we need to drop our territorial nature, which unfortunately exists, and learn to work with each other, although still defining roles and responsibilities, but learn to work with each other and also learn from each other so that we can provide the best care for our patients. Merlin. Thank you for having me on this particular podcast. I know it's called It's Your Heart Protected, but I think the really important message from this particular um, episode has been that in order to protect the heart, you have to be holistic. You have to look not only at the kidneys, which I love looking at, but also the risks for heart failure, the risks for peripheral vascular disease, cardiovascular disease, the impairment in glucose control. All of those things are necessary parts to get the end goal, which is improving a patient's life. And the best way, as Alice said, is to actually look at diabetes and its complications in a holistic way to identify those individuals at highest risk and focus on reducing their risk in the best way we know how with the most intensive therapy we can provide. Thank you once again, Alice and Merlin. Very little I can add to that. And I'm sure the audience really appreciated the emphasis on teamwork and the emphasis on the patient as the most important aspect of the whole conversation. So thank you once again. You've been listening to It's Your Heart, Protect It, the podcast by the Boehringer Ingelheim and Lily Alliance. Episode on teamwork across CRM, where Professor Carolyn Lamb was joined by endocrinologist Dr. Alice Cheng and nephrologist Professor Merlin Thomas. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow to listen to our next episode.